Hi, welcome to my podcast, where today I'll talk about how the story of Mary gives us hope. My name is Tim Harner. I am a Christian author and apologist, a graduate of Houghton College and of Harvard Law School, where I was an editor of the Harvard Law Review. As an attorney, my primary role has been as a general counsel. Therefore, I call the six books that I've written the General Counsel Series. The first four books of the series outline the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, providing scriptural backing for the final installments of the series that outline the history of America and the history of the Church Universal. I post my latest thoughts regularly on my website, timharner.com. For this podcast, please reflect on the question, what is my response when I think God wants me to do something that I don't want to do? And now, as I talk about how the story of Mary gives us hope, let's pray that the Lord will let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in the sight of the Lord our God, who is our strength and our Redeemer. Today's thoughts come from the beginning of my book, Hoping in the Lord, which is based on the Gospels. The theme of the book comes from Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Part one of my book is God Gives Us Jesus. It begins with the chapter titled, To Give Us Hope, Mary Learns That She Will Give Birth to Jesus. Over 400 years have passed since the days when Ezra and Nehemiah worked together to heal the promised land. This is roughly the amount of time that separates us from when the pilgrims arrived in America on the Mayflower. Now, God was intervening again in history to give his people new hope, new strength to heal the promised land. Only this time, instead of trusting in the leadership skills of a high official of the Persian government, such as Nehemiah, God trusted in the pure heart and steadfast spirit of a young teenage girl named Mary. And this time, instead of sending a teacher and a priest such as Ezra, God came personally as Jesus to teach us, and to be our priest. We know that Mary lived in Nazareth, a town in the northern part of Israel, near the Sea of Galilee. We also know that Mary was a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Mary's mind must have been full of thoughts and hopes, normal for a girl of her age and culture who was engaged to be married. As a virgin, she must have been looking ahead with some nervousness to the sexual intimacies of the wedding night, and she also must have longed to have children. As far as we know, she had not the slightest inkling that she was destined to play a major role in the history of God's people and in the history of the world. That stunning revelation burst into her life when none other than the angel Gabriel arrived in Nazareth to break the news to her. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Not surprisingly, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. To reassure her, the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Since the angel found it necessary to tell Mary not to be afraid, I assumed that Mary was very much afraid at this sudden, unexpected arrival of an angel. Thus far, the angel had not explained to Mary in what sense she was highly favored. For all she knew, the angel was about to drop off a pot of gold as a wedding gift. So Mary must have become even more greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be as the angel proceeded to describe God's plans for her life and for her child. The angel said, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The most natural assumption would have been that the angel was talking about a son who would be born to Mary after her marriage with Joseph was consummated. This would have seemed especially likely because the angel said that God would give her son the throne of his father David, and Mary knew that Joseph was a descendant of David. But the enormous implications of the angel's news, that her son would be called the Son of the Most High, and that his kingdom will never end, must have made Mary wonder how her son would be conceived. She asked the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered with words that confirmed that Mary's son would not be conceived in the normal way. He would not be the product of a sexual union between Mary and a man. Instead, the angel told her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for nothing is impossible with God. Now we come to a miracle even greater than the virgin birth. Mary did not falter. Despite the fact that she was greatly troubled, afraid, and full of wonder, she obeyed God immediately and perfectly. Mary's acceptance of God's will for her life sprang from her pure heart and her steadfast spirit. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Our awe at Mary's perfect obedience to the will of God, at her pure heart and her steadfast spirit, is increased when we remember how even the greatest of God's leaders balked under similar circumstances. The most famous example is Moses. When God spoke to him out of the burning bush, Moses thought up excuse after excuse to avoid going back to Egypt to confront the Pharaoh and free God's people from slavery. Furthermore, Mary had every reason not to want to get pregnant at this moment in her life. She must have feared what Joseph's reaction would be when he learned that she was pregnant with someone else's baby. 
She must have dreaded how her relatives and neighbors would scorn her for the rest of her life because she got pregnant before she got married. Nevertheless, Mary accepted this shame and humiliation because she was the Lord's servant. No wonder Jesus learned so well how to obey God. Mary showed Jesus how humans obey God with purity of heart and a steadfast spirit, how humans establish the pure worship of the Lord in spirit and in truth. No wonder Jesus called Mary a dear woman. I'm sure Mary taught Jesus that, since he was the Lord's servant, he must always say, May it be to me as you have said. And just as Mary obeyed God, regardless of how much shame and humiliation it cost her by being a pregnant bride, Jesus learned to obey God regardless of how much shame and humiliation it cost him. No wonder Jesus always identified himself and his mission with passages in Isaiah that describe a righteous servant of the Lord. Jesus was nurtured by just such a righteous servant of the Lord, his mother Mary. And no wonder that in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before he suffered the shame and humiliation of his death on a cross, Jesus found the courage to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Like Mary so many years before, Jesus followed God's will for his life perfectly, no matter what it cost him. Like his mother, Jesus suffered shame and humiliation with a pure heart and a steadfast spirit. And because we admire Mary and follow her son Jesus, we must go and do likewise. We must be pure in heart as we worship the Lord with a steadfast spirit. I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. If you did, please share it with a friend and find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as on my website, timharner.com. My book, Hoping in the Lord, contains citations to sources, including the scriptures. Until we are together again, may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord turn his face toward us and give us peace. <laughs>